Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, there's a lot of talk about inflation, guns, baby formula shortages, January 6th uh, commission, and deficit spending, of course, is always a popular one. Where are we really? Uh, there's uh, clearly no scarcity of options and issues and opinions out there. But can we get to a different kind of conversation? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it is time to think again. And one of our favorite guests to help us think again, Eric Baim, is a reporter for Reason. And we actually have him in the state of Utah and in the studio today. Eric, welcome back to Utah. Boyd, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, Obviously, there's a a ton going on. Uh, You had a great piece at Reason.com this morning uh, talking about why President Biden's claim of cutting the deficit we might want to think again about what that really is and what that really means. Frame it for us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's certainly plenty of news right now, and I'm the guy at Reason who's always banging the drum on like, hey, we should pay attention to the budget deficit, even when there's you know guns and, and baby formula and all these other important issues out there. Um, yeah, this is something that just keeps bugging me, and so I felt like this morning I just wanted to lay this out as cleanly as possible, which is that the, the White House keeps making this claim, making this argument about how the budget deficit is dropping this year, and that that is – Oh, man, it's only true in like the most narrowly technically correct, like a a narrow way of of defining it. Because when we talk about in D.C., at least when anybody talks about the budget deficit, what you're really talking about is a 10 year window of time. Anytime you look at legislation and you say how this is going to add to or detract from the budget deficit, you're talking about a 10 year window that the Congressional Budget Office defines. And so every single year in that 10 year window obviously has a particular deficit number attached to it. And that's what the White House is looking at right now. They're saying, look, this particular year relative to last year, there's this big gap and the budget deficit is coming way down because all the emergency spending from COVID is going off the books. Uh, But when you look at what the Biden White House has enacted, the policies they've enacted in the year uh, year plus since Biden took over, that has added, the CBO says, that has added to that 10-year deficit by more than $2 trillion. Mm. So the idea that Biden has cut the deficit is just, it's completely false. It's not even false. It's not even like like misleading or it's like somewhat true and we can massage it. No, it is absolutely in black and white false. And uh, there's, a, there's a really good chart, actually, that uh, somebody at Heritage, David, 
uh, David Dill over at Heritage uh, published last week that I stole from my piece this morning at Reason. You can find that, and it, and it really does a nice job of laying Yeah, and I, and I love the fact that you're helping us think of this because it is so easy to get caught up in the claims and the counterclaims of who added what to the deficit. And we've talked before about how uh, if you look at those 10-year windows, uh, often the presidents may have inherited something really bad at the front end. They may have something really good going on at the back end uh, that they are completely out of control of. But but it's this idea of the 10-year window uh, that really is the crucial piece to be able to say, are we really cutting the deficit and and reducing the debt? Or are, is this just window dressing and a lot of uh, mechanics and, and mental gymnastics uh, to get to a soundbite we'd like? That's exactly <laughs> right. The, the thing that you need to look at is the baseline, where things are and uh, and how that baseline changes mm. over well, you know what the what the line for the next 10 years is going to be and how that line goes up or down when new policies are enacted. Yeah. So you can look at where the CBO baseline was when Trump left office and when Biden took over. That's the, the baseline that the CBO drew in February of last year. Right. And then you can look at the, the new baseline that they just put out in a report that they published a couple of weeks ago, and you can see that that baseline has moved up. And if the baseline has moved up, that means there's more spending, there's a larger deficit, and that's, that's really the only thing that matters. Uh, all of the COVID spending coming off the books obviously makes this year's deficit look like it's falling. It's not actually truly falling, though, is the is the bottom line. In the piece, I make the comparison to on the East Coast, we have these giant plagues of cicadas yes. that come out every 17 years, yeah. right? And there's there's just billions of them. They saturate D.C. and Philadelphia all up and down the eastern seaboard. And uh, it's, it's sort of like what the Biden White House is doing right now is they're saying, well, if we went out and we measured the number of cicadas in Washington, D.C. this summer versus the number of cicadas in D.C. last summer, last summer was the once every 17 years. And uh, and if you were to measure those two things, you'd say, well, look, the number of cicadas has collapsed. The cicadas <laughs> must be going extinct. But like, of course, that's obviously not true. You have to look at yeah. the full 17 years to get the right picture there. And with the budget, you have to look at the full 10 years to get the right. Yeah. And this is an important thing for, for all of us uh, as voters, as citizens. Uh, because uh, we know we've had these debates before where you have you have a new spending proposal that rolls out uh, and they're only going to count the first five years on the books as opposed to counting the full 10 years or they're going to sun they're going to quote sunset something uh, after three years. And we know I think the closest thing to eternity is is spending in Washington. Uh, and so how do we as as voters start to think differently when we hear a lot of these big, crazy numbers uh, and again, some of the claims of, oh, but hey, it's so much better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. What what the White House is doing right now is the sort of inverse of that typical gimmickry, the gimmickry that you see when they're trying to pass a, a big piece of legislation, and they say, "Well, we're only going to count, you know, the the score against the first five years instead of ten years." It's the same exact games, and it's tough for average people to care about. I think it's tough. One of the reasons why I wrote the piece I wrote today is that I think it's difficult even for journalists and people in media who follow this as a, as our jobs to accurately convey this yeah. and to accurately say, well, no, the, the White House is not cutting the deficit. They're adding to it um, because it is it's difficult to parse all these numbers. And it's something that most people are just are simply not going to care about. So the, the important thing is, I think, right now is that there, there's obviously been a huge amount of spending that's gone right. out the door in the last few years. And we're seeing the consequences of that now. And I think that more than any particular debate over these, as much as I would love for people to care about the intricacies of the budget deficit, the the sort of larger picture economic uh, system or the larger you know sort of uh, scale look at the way the economy is running right now, that is going to send a signal, I think, I hope, through the voters, 
to the politicians that like growing the size of government, spending more money is, is should at least be off the table for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And so let's get into those things that we know everybody cares about and they're much easier to track. And that's the inflation numbers <laughs> yeah. that continue to go up. Give us some perspective in terms of where we are and uh, what do you see coming up? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, num- the new numbers that came out on Friday are uh, are high, a new 40-year new high. Year. We're up at yeah. 8.5% now of inflation. And I think this... Uh, there was there was a bunch of talk after the last round of numbers came out for April showing that maybe inflation was slowing down, even though a lot of that was there was sort of volatile measurements in, mm-hmm. in f- food and fuel that had fallen uh, after going way up in March. And uh, but, but what you saw there was that the, the core CPI, the core inflation numbers were still quite strong even in April and continue to be strong in May. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at now is a situation where the White House and, and the, the uh president has even said in an op-ed that he wrote in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago that he's really got to just take his hands off this, doesn't have any control of the stick at this point. He's going to trust the Federal Reserve. He's going to trust Trump Powell to, to land the plane. And so I think that's where all the action is at this point. I don't think there's anything in the in the political mechanisms that are going to that are going to really going to deal with inflation at this point. It's going to be uh, it's going to be whether the Federal Reserve can turn that dial just right to keep us out of a recession and to bring inflation down at the same time. And that who I don't know anybody's guess, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and and those uh, hoping for a soft landing, uh, maybe yeah. hoping against hope that there there is such a thing uh, coming off this this kind of spending. Uh, what are some of the things that we should be watching as it relates to to all of these numbers? Obviously, the the pocketbook issues are the ones that are driving so many people to say, "Hey, uh, it doesn't matter if the president blames it on Vladimir Putin or Republicans in Congress or Democrats in Congress, because we can be equal opportunity offenders on spending because yep. they've all been horrible." Uh, but what is it that the messaging uh, – I, I think there is an underlying erosion of confidence of the American people. What are the things that you're watching that you think might help at least get us to a landing and maybe start to, to rebuild that? Yeah, I think I think the messaging is important. And we talked about this last time I was yeah. on your show just a few weeks ago, right, is that the way the White House is now shifting its messaging on this, obviously it's playing a political game because it's looking at the the, the Biden administration are, or is looking at the midterms and realizing that, you know, if the economy is bad and if inflation is still high, that is not good for Democrats going into the next <laughs> election. And then uh, obviously Biden's not on the ballot. But if he has to deal with a Republican majority in Congress, uh, which it increasingly looks like he will, that changes everything in terms of what the administration can do for the next uh, two or three years. So there's going to be a lot of messaging on this. uh, But again, I just don't think there's a lot that you can actually do. I think the the horse is out of the barn or the cow is out of the field or whatever the metaphor is, right? Like it's already gone. You can shut the barn door after the cow is gone. There's the metaphor. Uh, But the the spending is out the door. The the spending that that has triggered this inflation, the weather, you know, and the, the other things that have added to inflation, the war in Ukraine, uh, those things are obviously well beyond the White House's control. So at this point, it really is just a problem that they will try to solve via messaging. And, uh, and you know, I don't know, the numbers speak for themselves and probably a lot louder to most Americans than anything that the White House uh, press secretary can say. Um, when you go to the grocery store and you see that everything is 10% more expensive than it was a year ago, that's uh, that's where voters are feeling it. Yeah. Uh, I just saw today, actually, that Real Clear Politics updated their uh, their cumulative uh, mm. uh, polling numbers for the, the Biden uh, White House. And uh, the approval rating is now something like 38.5%. It's a full 4% lower than where four percentage points lower 
than where Trump was at this time in wow. his uh, tenure in office. And obviously, he was quite unpopular. <laughs> um, but Biden is now running four, uh, four percentage points lower. And I think that's just purely a reflection of where the economy's at right now. Yeah. yeah. Any prediction in terms of what the uh, the Fed does this week in terms of interest rates? If I could do that, <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting on this radio show, but I would be out there thought, hey, making so much Come on, money. make us a big prediction. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the signals that they've given are that the, the, the interest rates are going to go up. Interest rates are going to go up probably as much as a half percent and then maybe mm. another half percent later in the summer, right? Uh, so that's that's definitely uh, coming down the pike. I think there's there's going to be rate increases for sure yeah. because there's half you know and this is again somewhat maybe more complicated but you have to give all those extra dollars in the economy something else to do right right yeah. now there's all this extra money that we dumped in 1.9 trillion dollars in new spending in the American Rescue Plan much of that was distributed in various ways to local governments and state governments or even directly into people's bank accounts and that money has to go somewhere so when you have more money chasing the same amount of goods prices have to go up if you raise interest rates that gives some of those dollars it gives an incentive for people to spend some of those dollars uh, rather than spending some of those dollars to save them and uh, that's the hope is that you just sort of slowly pull that money back out of the economy and slow down price increases whether it works is uh that's what we're gonna see (laughs) we shall see uh just real quick uh, anything on the horizon anything you're tracking that you you wish the american people were talking about or thinking about rolling into the summer I think the uh, well, I think the January sixth hearings right now are something we should mention. That's something that's taking yeah. up a lot of oxygen uh, in in Washington and probably around the rest of the country. I think as we get closer through the summer and and closer to some really big gubernatorial races yeah. around the country, there are candidates in a number of states. Uh, my my former home state of Pennsylvania being one of them. Uh, Michigan, I think Arizona being another, where you've got Republican candidates who are on the record as saying they might not have certified the outcome of the last mm-hmm. election. And I think regardless of of which way you feel about the outcome of the last election, uh, I think having people who are openly running and saying, I would break the mechanisms of democracy if I'm elected is is an interesting and potentially really dangerous place for the country to be. So that is something that I I assume that will get a lot more attention nationally uh, as we head into the midterms. But I think that's probably like one of the big stories out there that's not quite fully broken through yet. Yeah, fantastic. Eric Payne, Reason Magazine, Reason.com, uh, one of the great thinkers that we rely on heavily when he's back east, and uh, really gla- grateful to have him in studio and in the state today. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Boyd. All right. Uh, again, great insight as always uh, from Eric Bame. And again, you, you got to th- you gotta think a little deeper. doesn't mean you have to be totally obsessed with all the numbers and all the pieces, but we've got to think again. We've got to think different about numbers, about deficits, about debt, uh, about who we're electing to key positions. Uh, there's a lot to think about on a Monday. Stick with us. We'll continue on Inside Sources. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. 
Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.